Hello, I'm Kendra. I'm Olivia. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Our Music Oddcast. Today we have a special guest. His name is Ben Carr, and he is the frontman of a local psychedelic band, Heaven's Gateway Drugs. Um, and he's here to talk to us today about um, the conspiracy of the REM countdown. Hello. Hello, Ben. Hi, Ben. <laughs> thanks for thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm and excited about this. Filling us in on this thing that we could not find yeah. through any Google results. Yeah, nothing. It. it was weird. It's a yeah. It's a weird one to look up. And today's featured cocktail is Ben's favorite. We are drinking lime mojitos yes. with mint from Olivia's garden. Yes, <laughs> they're very good. They are. <laughs> so tell us about your album that you just put out. Oh, uh, it's called Slab City. Um, we're really excited about it. Um, we recorded it off the cuff sound, and um, we've been it's been done for a while. And we're excited that it is getting to see the light of day. And had a really great album release show. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So REM was formed in Athens, Georgia, in 1980. Frontman Michael Stipe met Peter Buck, who's the guitarist. Um, in Wuxtry Records. I guess the two had similar taste in bands and they were sort of not fighting over albums, but Stipe tended to buy the albums that, that Buck liked. But that was kind of cool. I hate when that happens. I know. <laughs> Especially then because sometimes there weren't a lot of albums in some of the stores. They were smaller. And if you ordered one in, it, you, you never knew how long it was going to take for yeah, them to get gone. it. Yeah. Yep. Michael had it. Yeah. You do go that home and download bastard. it. Yeah. <laughs> So the pair met roommates Mike Mills, who was the bass player, and Bill Barry, on, who drummer, through a mutual friend. While they were all students at the University of Georgia, they began practicing in a deconstructed church that Buck and Stike actually lived in, I guess. And I saw some footage of the place, and I mean, there wasn't really a roof. I don't know how they lived in it. It was... No, I think it sounds like it needs an HGTV oh. makeover. Yeah. They, Truly. So are they like squatting? Well, I yeah. believe they were because they would do a lot of things. They broke into their school to just come up with album names because <laughs> they were just all about, they would write a bunch of names on a chalkboard. This is how they came up with their name. Like mm -hmm. in, in the morning when they were done, whatever wasn't erased or they thought was silly, they would just pick. So like R.E.M. to them means nothing. And all of their albums are just arbitrary words that yeah. weren't used before. Yeah, some of the band names that were potential band names were Twisted Kites, <laughs> um, Cans of Piss, <laughs> Hornets Attack, Victor Mature. I guess that, yeah. Oh, wait, Hornets Attack, Victor Mature? Like yeah. all one word? Like that's all one? That was all, just, yeah. Oh. All oh. together. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that was two oh. separate ones. Yeah, yeah. No. no. It's like, can you imagine though if it's like... Yeah, I was listening to that song "Losing My Religion" by Hornets Attack Victor Mature. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it rolls off the tongue. Like, everybody like, hurts by cans of piss. Yeah. <laughs> right, and this is definitely before there was bands like "Annual Know Us" by The Trail of Dead. It's like yeah. right. definitely like not the long name thing. No. Oh, and there was also Bingo Handjob. That's yeah. a great fucking name. Yeah, yeah and they played one show as that. Under okay, that name. yeah, Bingo Handjob. And they <laughs> crawled from the south. It's like. I just found out yesterday that my phone, every time, like, you know how your phone prompts you for what the word should be next? Yeah. Every time I was typing in surprise, it was like, blowjobs? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why? So my phone wants me to say surprise blowjobs a lot, apparently. That's weird. Huh. 
fascinating fact. Okay, go good on. Band name. That is a good band name. <laughs> <laughs> so they played their first show on April 5th, 1980, opening for The Side Effects. And they played both originals and covers. I guess they had 10 songs ready for that first show. All four eventually dropped out of school after missing a significant amount of classes. And they had already become pretty successful locally and the area around Athens. So they began touring the South. In 81, they recorded their first single, Radio Free Europe. And it was released on Hiptone. Um, that was before they you know, signed with R- um, IRS, which was actually the next. I think that was also in 81. Yeah. Um, and that was when they recorded their first EP, which was called Chronic Town. They thought about signing with RCA, but I guess they didn't have the control that they would have had with IRS, so that's why they decided to go with them, which is kind of interesting, you know, because it was such a bigger label at the time. I think that they would have considered that, but I like what they did. seems like throughout the career, they never really gave in to what labels or, you know, even what people wanted to hear. They kind of did their own thing, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, they released, like, six full-length on, like, IRS, which was an independent yeah, label. because the last yeah. one was Document, right? Yeah. So yeah. everything from Chronic Town to Document, yep. which, yeah, that's, like, it's, Which is insane, like, an amount before they signed with Warner and got, like, complete control and artistically. And so much money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so it was the biggest at the time. So they were working with producer Mitch Easter, who also worked on um, their first single, Radio for Europe, with them. They completed their first album, Murmur, in 1983, and it was, it was, you know, it, uh, um, Rolling Stone voted it album of the year, and seems like it was a hit with the critics. It didn't completely make it through on the radio, which is the college radio stations, mm-hmm. but still did pretty well. They worked again with Easter and his partner Dixon to record their follow-up recording in 1984, and reckoning. Yeah, I, I couldn't read my own writing. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's my favorite. You too, still have nicer so. handwriting yeah. than yeah, I, I really do. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, Even just like from the first song, I think it's so a good, good one. So, this album once again did well with the critics, but didn't sell as well as the, the label would have liked. Their third album, Fables of Reconstruction, was released in 1985, and they were working with producer Joe Boyd this time. It was a bad time for the band, I guess. There was really bad weather when they were recording, and they said that the gloomy feel made it through to the album. Yeah, because they were recorded in Germany, and it was oh. just a terror. Yeah, they for some reason, like that was what they wanted to do, and hmm. the weather was awful, and it was just really dark, and so it affected them mentally. Seems like they picked a spot every time they rec- uh, recorded, not just for the studio, but they picked a destination, someplace that they wanted to go, and then... Kind of took the whole band there, which is really fun. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, let's take this trip. And this sounds luxurious. I know. It's like, I want to go on a vacation and like check out this forest. So let's go record there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that's at that nice. point when they probably, you know, weren't rolling in all the dough and everything. No, they were not. Just, no. But that's cool. That's like a good way to like justify it. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Like, I really want to take a trip to this Maybe place. not like the most luxurious. <laughs> but there's a recording <laughs> yeah, studio like there. Was... But yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So the singles didn't make it through to the radio, but it was their biggest hit so far with sales, which is nice. Um, and that was Fables of the Reconstruction? Yes. Okay. Which is so weird to me because it just seems to be like the least, it's like the album that no one talks about. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. But it does like the have one song that a lot of people know is Fall on Me. Um, that's right. from Life's Rich Pageant. 
Oh, shit. Edit Isn't that out. One? <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> so since, since you brought it up, that was what they began working on, Life's Rich Pageant, right after it. And they worked with Don, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I think it's Gaiman. Um, sure. Who worked with John Mellencamp. And this album did really well and finally started to give them their breakthrough to the mainstream charts. Um, this album went gold. And I just did that noise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we all realize that we do. A lot. <laughs> so the label released Dead Letter Office. It's a compilation of B-sides and unreleased songs. And they began working with Scott Litt on their fifth album. That's Document. a fun last name. Yeah. yeah. Really <laughs> Every single also, one of these. Also there's worked somebody with Pearl Jam a, later yeah. on in his career. Oh, okay. So this was their big... The stare. <laughs> I know that you guys can't see what we're doing, but um, <laughs> Ben is one of my best friends. And I am not a fan of Pearl Jam. And I'm not going to trash talk them on here or anything because they've done nothing to me. But um, basically, at any, any given chance to bring up Pearl Jam or a serenade or play a song or whatever, Ben tries to take that opportunity to much to my charted grin. So about facts, I feel like, or, you know, I'll, like I'm one time I maybe have like assaulted him. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> the purse. I have a love hate relationship with them as well. I kind of, yeah, I don't know. Like I wish that I liked them more. Cause I think, cause I think Eddie Vedder seems like Some a good really guy. Good songs. Yeah. Great yeah. voice. <laughs> I disagree yeah, about I, that. I, I, I agree. Uh, no. <laughs> That's what no, drives no, me nuts about like, Pearl Jam is his voice. When I read, like, Carrie Brownstein's uh, uh, autobiography, when she was talking about when Slater Kinney, like, mm-hmm. toyed with them and stuff, she, like, spent a lot of time talking about how awesome he was and, like, super supportive of women and music. And, like, oh, yeah. No, like, yeah, I've like, always heard that, right, and I don't yeah. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, like, yeah. he sounds no, like saying. he's a really good dude, more. Yeah, but I just cannot stand listening to them. Yeah. I just can't do it. It's okay. <laughs> so this album was a big breakthrough for them uh, with the single One I Love and End of the World was on this album as well. That's a great song. Yeah. They, oh. Lindsay can do that for karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that. Um, you know, did you guys ever have, like, I, I was in middle school, I think, when that came out. Did you guys and your friends try to memorize the whole song or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, you lived it. <laughs> I did it. We just when I like fell in love with them. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I was, so I was just sadly like this... just alone, and you know, not with friends, mm-hmm. just alone. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember um, after nine eleven, the radios were um, asked not to play like this whole list of specific songs, and that song was wow. on it. So I remember that the local alternative station was like, and today's the last day that we have to listen to that. So here you go. Here's all the songs that we have not been allowed to play for the past like couple months. And like, they just played that song, like end of the world, like every other song. (laughs) It was so great. (laughs) Also at that time too, they didn't put their, they didn't list their lyrics on their albums. They didn't do it until. So you had to like really listen until to it much to memorize left. that. Yeah. Until a member left because they always said they weren't like that was like a thing. They never printed the lyrics because that yeah, was like yeah. with their first album, Murmur. There's a lot of even now because when you listen to some of the songs, you can't really tell if he's saying anything because it's just murmuring and just tones because he would just get the music and ride around in a car yeah. and sing along to it and like 
mumble stuff. And yeah, I don't think that there's lyrics really for some of the songs. Some of them, yes, but yeah. not all. Yeah. There's a song, I might be on that album or it might be on another one where it sounds like he says something about pooping on Elvis. Um, goofing oh, on Elvis. Yeah, goofing okay. on, on Elvis. Yeah. But, I couldn't no. tell when I was listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think that's what he'd say. But. Yeah, but no, the song Shaking Through, like, mm-hmm. let's try to decipher those lyrics, like, <laughs> off of the first. Well, and Michael Stipe, like, always has a music stand and is reading things yeah, off of it. Yeah, because he can't remember his remember. lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Snatch those. <laughs> yeah. Like it, oh, they played a lot of early stuff at this show tonight. Mm-hmm. Snatch the lyric sheet just like a ninja. Right. Like I'm on a secret mission. Kendra, yeah. I, I must really, know these fucking words. <laughs> I have a really important question to ask you. It was it's kind of going back a little bit. It was when you're talking about the radio station, how they would just play that every other. Was it you that told me that like a long time ago one of the local radio stations <laughs> had a fuck up and they played Little Miss Can't Be Wrong by the Spin Doctors for like six hours straight? Yes. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Did I imagine that? I never really realized that I had the capacity to hate music until yeah. that moment. <laughs> okay, guys. Like, I remember like I would listen to the radio. I mean, I was a little kid and I'd listen to the radio before I'd go to bed. And it was like the countdown. And then like then they just like there was a glitch. And so the only song that they could play was Little Miss by Spin Doctors. Oh. And I, like they played it for like hours. And I kept on checking back and I I was like punching my pillow and getting so pissed. It was like like, one of the worst nights of my life. (laughs) I was like, I'm pretty sure Kendra told me about this a long time ago, and I was like, am I making this up? I I forgot completely about that. No, yeah. Sorry to bring up the No, it was traumatic. It was totally traumatic. was it? It was like 97. Okay. It was like the the pop station. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, it was definitely like still in the 90s, and I just remember being so furious. Like, I was like eight years old, and like, I'm like screaming into my pillow, because I wanted to hear... I think I was like really wanting to hear something else. I can't remember what it was. Anything, I remember anything. Yeah, like, did you guys yeah. ever do that? Like, I remember like one time when I was really young, like I was always waiting to hear Bill Biv DeVoe on the radio station, <laughs> and I only got to hear it like twice. And I was like, why do they never play that song anymore? But call? it was definitely like well past yeah. when that song came out. Or you'll so. call and request something, and then you have to wait like four hours. Yeah, I would do that. And then they play the fucking Spin Doctors, and I'd like lose my shit. <laughs> like I literally can't <laughs> listen to that song without like like remembering my inner eight year old like being furious. I know what's gonna make Kendra almost as mad as Pearl Jam then. <laughs> I, yeah. it, it, we like, might top you, it. You, you <laughs> I remember anyway. oh, like keeping a tape in my stereo because I love to make mixtapes for people, and <laughs> you would have to wait for the songs on the radio. So I would always have it in there, and I would like come home from school and go up in my room and do stuff and try to like catch the songs that I liked. But the, we had that really good one for a while. It was ninety six three, The Edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it was and still would, locally owned. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they would play um, like B sides and all kinds of rare live performances, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So I, I, I still have my tapes with some of those on there. That's one awesome. by Eddie Vedder. Peace. peace. <laughs> I think <laughs> like singing a Neil Young song. Just going back yeah. to that, that Eddie Vedder thing. I remember, um, yeah. and this is like the last thing I'll say about Pearl Jam, and then we just have to let it die. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'll talk about it this whole time, and it has nothing to do with REM. Um, when I knew that it was real hate was when I was watching that movie Into the Wild, oh. and I didn't know. 
You were in for a treat. I was, yeah. I didn't know that he. It was like Eddie Vedder and a fucking ukulele. Yeah. The entire yeah. soundtrack. No one told me. I of hope, course. Were you at the theater? Hopefully. No, I wasn't. Oh, I was at a friend's house, great. and I had like I already see, paid see for this. I'm, I was yeah. excited for this movie. I read the book, like all this stuff, and I was like, can't wait for it. And then like maybe like 20 minutes in, I was like, I need a fucking cigarette. Like I don't know why I'm so pissed right now. And then, like, I kept on, like, leaving, and I was like, I just don't think I can watch this. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know what is bothering me, but there's something inside of me that's, like, mad right now. And they're like, it should be calming. It's like Eddie Vedder in a ukulele. And I was like, motherfucker! How okay. not recognize that voice? Right. I don't yeah, know, but, like, sweet, the fact sweet. that I didn't know and I was, like, having that reaction means that I'm not lying about this shit. Yeah. Okay. Back to R.E.M. Yes. Yes. So, Document ended up selling a million copies... And they decided to leave IRS, their label, because of um, they thought that they failed them with overseas distribution. So they signed with the Warner Brothers, who gave them massive distribution and complete creative control. IRS That's kind of rare for that time, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's like was... them and... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, like them and uh, Flaming Lips both got really good around that time. They're, I don't know. I'm sure if... We looked into it like that like somebody was working for Warner Brothers it was like I we really want yeah like, this stuff that's and awesome they were they were right because yeah of, you know, those two bands are just really long careers mm-hmm. and people are still into that and they signed for I couldn't find an exact amount or even really a narrowed down one but it said between eight and 25 million for wow. that wow yeah that's awesome huge so IRS released another compilation called it was like a best of um Imponimous. yes yeah Imponimus. I'm glad you said that so I didn't have to. I probably would have butchered it. I could like envision (laughs) the word in my head, but I'm like, (laughs) I think that's around the time. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they had like an infomercial promoting that album or one of REM's like best of. Yeah, because I remember it would play all the time, especially at night, because I would stay up and watch 120 minutes and a couple. I think um, that was when Liquid Television was on too. That would have been probably the right. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that that was the one. I don't want to look that up. Yeah. Infomercial for Mm -hmm. the RAMs and Yeah. We should look that up after this. So in 88, they released Green, their first album on Warner Brothers, and Orange Crush and Stand were the big singles from that. And they ended up selling 4 million copies. They took a little bit of a break, an extended break, um, because they'd spent three years touring after Green. And the summer of 1990, that was when they started. Oh, yeah, they recorded um, Out of Time, which, sorry, I'm like fucking up big time because I can't read my writing. It's okay. Um, which had Losing My Religion. And this one, they added a lot of different instruments so mandolin, organ, acoustic guitar. Oh, and I, I screwed up. That was actually released in 91. They started, okay, I think I did say that right. I said they, started, started, right. they started recording, recording in 90. Yeah, then released. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So. This one went on to sell 4.2 million copies just in the U.S. and 12 million worldwide. Wow. Yeah. And Losing My Religion was on heavy rotation on the radio yeah. station. Oh, my God. Never ending. Yeah, never ending. I can't listen to that song. I can't either. I actually hate that song. It took them a long time. I yeah, I like, like it now. I, took, <laughs> yeah. I didn't ever try to listen to it. And they stopped playing it for a really long time because they, they were just needed so to. They overdid it. it. Well, again, so with the much. being a frustrated child and remembering songs yeah. that were overdone, like that was definitely like every time I turned on MTV, it was on. I just yeah, take a break I from them like because of that. I didn't like for a long time yeah. because of that song. Yeah. Like, I just would 
yeah, I just like. And no. my mom liked that song, and so at that time, you know, you're not like really. I mean, it's not a bad that, song. I think it's really well done yeah. and everything. Like, I don't hate and REM, but I just like. Really cool. I just remember like getting bummed every time it came on. Like mm-hmm. again, I don't really. I don't know. I don't really remember REM existing until about like when Monster came out. Okay. So I was like pretty young, but like my dad had that album. He had some before that too, but that's like the one that I really remember. I didn't know Michael Stipe was here until. Oh yeah. I, I was yeah, researching was this. Did you? I thought he um, shaved his head. Yeah. He, uh, I was he watching their very Monster. first. Okay. Yeah. That was yeah when he did that. I, I watched their very first. TV performance where they're on Letterman doing Radio Free Europe, and mm-hmm. he's like so painfully shy when they're talk- when mm-hmm. he's talking. He's talking so to them cute. at the end, and yeah, he had like his beautiful curly hair. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Also, funny about Michael Stipe, his talking voice is so different from his singing voice. You yeah. don't see that too often. Yeah, but it's weird when you hear him talk because he's it. His voice is so low and he's real quiet. Yeah, he was so shy at their first like mm-hmm. I don't know how many shows where he would have to be kneeling down. Behind the drummer, facing away from the audience, wow. yeah. singing like in a like like just like position that was where nobody could he couldn't let anything in. And it's just yeah, so, I've awesome. seen a couple bands like they, that like turn away from the audience. And then yeah, he had to invent like this stage persona. That's why he always when he talks like on stage, he's like the name of our band is R.E.M. We hope you like it. Like, it's, ne- it's never, like, this fun, like, yeah. Yeah. it's always this direct, like, that he's not going to be himself. I guess that's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, I always find it fascinating when there's bands, though, that, like, the front man, like, can't engage with the audience. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's kind of fun. I mean, because it it's, like, it's just they... so, uh, the only band I've ever seen do that was, like, this band called Asshole Parade. Um, I don't know if he was just doing it for that show or if it was just like what he normally did, but like he did not turn around once and yeah. he was just like staring like at the bass drum the whole time, which is, but it was a great show. So yes. it didn't really matter. Yes. <laughs> so their second single off that album was shiny happy people, which featured Kate Pearson from the B-52s also from Athens. Yes. I'm obsessed with them. Yeah. So <laughs> I really like them too. So good. They were nominated for seven Grammys and ended up winning three, one for Best Alternative Music Album, one for Best Short Form Video for Losing My Religion, and then also Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal, and that was for Losing My Religion also. After that, they did a series of small shows. They didn't do a big tour, and they did an MTV Unplugged. And Oh, and that one featured the Atlanta Symphony that's dope. Orchestra, yeah, which is pretty cool. And I always like it when bands collaborate with symphonies. Yeah, same. It's like, just neat. It's yeah. Always just, it's so, so great. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it makes everyone sound super epic. In 91, they returned to the studio to record Automatic for the People, and they worked with John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin on string arrangements. And there's actually a really good documentary on, I found it on YouTube, and I'm trying to think if I wrote down the name. Let's see. Oh, yeah, it was called Automatic Unearthed. And it just, it showed, like, what they were doing when recording. And, um, oh, that's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I, Joe's. I know. Yeah, Something. like, I've only oh. ever, like, I watched, like, tour film and then the one that they had for Monster because yeah. they were making the other album on the road. But, yeah, yeah, I didn't know there was. Yeah, that's cool. So it was released in 92 and. Can't read once again. Um, 
I guess. Okay, yeah. So it had some of the it had um, the singles "Drive," "Man on the Moon," and "Everybody Hurts." Sold 15 million copies worldwide. And I guess they got the, I thought this was kind of cool, they got the title um, of the album from a local restaurant in Athens called Weaver D Soul Food. It was kind of the slogan, which I thought was kind of cool. Weaver D? Yeah, okay, Weaver yeah. D's. Just making sure I heard that right. Yeah. The slogan was some, like, you want fries with that. It was like, automatic. Yeah. Like, exclamation points. And so they were just like, automatic for the people. <laughs> Dealer for the people. <laughs> Cut that out. I know. No, I, 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 no I, it's funny. It just sounds. No, it's just actually like really it. great. <laughs> it's okay. We don't need too much promotion for that. <laughs> I couldn't help. Every every city in America has that car guy. Yeah. <laughs> they all do. Yeah. So in '94, they released Monster. It was a more slow-paced album. And that one, the sales weren't quite as big. They sold nine million, which didn't sell it's huge. And the singles were "What's the Frequency, Kenneth?" And I could have written this wrong, but "Bong and Blame." Bang Bang. And blame. Bang and Blame. Yeah, I need to. Bong and Bong blame. and Blame. <laughs> <laughs> sold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they toured for the first time in six years, and unfortunately, during that tour, Bill Berry suffered an aneurysm on stage in Switzerland. He, that's horrible. Oh yeah, on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. holy shit! I did That'd not be know that. Fucking frightening. I don't know anything about REM, so this fully, is all fascinating yeah. and to fully me. Fully recovered in a month. Yeah. yeah. What? In Switzerland. They have it's great crazy. neurosurgeons. Well, and there. he left, yeah. and he, he was like told like that he couldn't do that anymore. If yeah. he wanted to like not have another one. So that he's makes just sense. A farmer in Athens now. Yeah. And they played a couple shows. Um, since then, but just like fun local ones at bowling alleys, which is so neat. Like, that is oh, amazing. What a beautiful yeah, that. just going bowling. And oh, R.E.M. shows up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But also, like, man, that's I can't even imagine. I know that's insane. Like, it's gonna take me a minute to wrap my brain I don't around know how that. Old he was at the time, um, but it seemed like he was still pretty young. Yeah, 30s, yeah, thirties, so. yeah, early forties. That's crazy. Yeah, to be so terrifying. And during that tour, there were a couple other medical issues with. Like, yeah, like, I had a hernia. Mm-hmm. He did, and then yeah. um, Mills had abdominal surgery mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Everyone went down. Yeah. Yeah. And they were still recording. And they were recording while on the road and having all that happen. They're using eight track recorders and then they recorded from some of their performances, I believe. Oh, yeah. Three were made into a film called um, Road Movie. Road Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that album that came from that road is one of their best. It's so good. I was going to say, yeah. New Adventures in Hi Fi is my favorite of their like major label outputs. Absolute favorite. So they re-signed with Warner Brothers in 96, and that was the big contract for, it says 80 million, but they never, the band wouldn't confirm that that was actually what they, they signed for, but it says that that was, you know, the biggest at the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they also did a thing where they always, it was like R.E.M. is Barry Buck Mills Stipe. It was always alphabetical and everything Mm -hmm. was always equal pay. Like nobody got anymore. Yeah. I feel like if you're in a band, you should do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like... I don't know if it's not at least like equal, then like the ego would destroy the band, right? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, like it was the thing. Like he was, you know, doing the singing and like performing, and he would write. He wrote a little bit later, but it was mainly the other guys like writing all of the music. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah, it should just be even. It yeah, for sure, made sense. Okay. I'm all about like that though, like the even split for everything. Yeah. Like if yeah. it's all local bands playing a show, 
and it, this goes out to everyone that's not from our city, <laughs> if it's all locals, even split. Yeah. Drop, drop the attitude. Even split. Doesn't matter who's bigger or whatever. Like, right. And always help out the little guys that haven't had that many shows. Yeah. And then regardless... Always pay the touring band more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no questions asked. It doesn't matter money. if you brought everybody. Yeah. Like, don't be a dick. PSA yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> so they released New Adventures in Hi-Fi in '96. This one sold five million, and due, as I said, due to the decline of alternative music at the time, which I, it did. Yeah. I did. I do remember that because it was kind of the post, like Kurt Cobain. Yeah, day. yeah. You know, things got weird for a while there. Yeah, and that was when Bill quit the band. Yeah. So they carried on as a three-piece and still recorded up. They worked with Pat McCarthy and Nigel Goodrich to produce and brought in Barnett Martin from Screaming Trees and Joey Warnaker, who toured with Beck on drums. And that was the first time they used, they included lyrics. Okay. Yeah, that was the first one when Bill Berry left. Day Sleeper was the big single off the album, one of my favorites. And that one sold 900,000 copies. It was a bad time for the band, very difficult. Um, They were experimenting with a bunch of different stuff, and not a lot was working for them, it seems like, in the studio. They used some analog 70s drum machines and cowbells and keyboards to try to replace Bill. That's, yeah, that's got to be hard. Yeah. Like, how long were they together with him in the band? That would have been 1999 like, when Up came out, and then they started 97, in I think, was yeah. Up. So, yeah, like being, in a, being a unit for almost 20 years. Yeah. Right. And then, like, having one of those people leave, like... Yeah. I mean, in my band, we've only been together for, like, five years, and we've already pretty much said, like, if one of us leaves, it's done. Yeah. Like, because it wouldn't feel right. Yeah. They said, too, that, you know, they all made the decisions together. They would all, you know, go around to everybody and make sure that things were cool before they did it, or, you know, does this part sound okay? So they said it was weird not having that other person to go to, and, you know, just the morale of the band was down. They were really excited to record going into it, and, you know, they'd all picked San Francisco as the place to go, and then um, their spirits were pretty low after he left. Yeah. And it took twice as long as they originally planned to record, and partway through, they had to stop and do the Tibetan Freedom Concert, because mm-hmm. they had already signed on to do that before, and they barely had time to rehearse with the drummer. I think they had one day to play with him. Oh, man. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. my first band. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the show. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I, I remember hearing, I think it was on um, MTV News, but there were people that were struck by lightning. Well, they were holding onto yeah. a railing at the show, and the weather was so bad they were struck. The oh, yeah. railing was struck by lightning, Jeez. and they had to cancel that day. Damn. Yeah. Like, just like <laughs> bad luck bears. Like I know. Bad news bears. Like brought it with them. Following this band around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. The good thing was they crammed all the bands into, you know, that didn't get to play on Saturday into um, the Sunday schedule. Everybody had a shortened set, which kind of sucks, but then they still let everybody play, which was cool. I hope the lightning strike survivors got free merch or something. I know. (laughs) Something. Yeah. got struck by lightning and didn't even get a shitty t-shirt. I don't know if they lived. I oh, wow. don't yeah, I think anybody okay, now I died. F- as I say, I feel really bad for saying that. There was a woman that. that was hurt the worst, and I think that she, I think she pulled through. Oh, but I I'm, could be wrong. Tight. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm not an asshole. <laughs> Scott lit. So I think it was either they talked about it during the show, or maybe it even happened while they were in town to do that show. Um, Tommy York recorded 
one of REM songs, and then Ari, uh, Michael Stipe went and played with our, our uh, Radiohead and recorded one of their songs. Mm-hmm. Do you, okay, do you know what songs? Because well, I didn't know what songs. I always read that, that like Leave had like a version that was our that Radiohead was a part of. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't. know But that. so I don't know specifically mm-hmm. that. Like I just know that okay. Radiohead like when they were dealing with fame, he talked to Michael Stipe and that he was the insp- Michael Stipe was the inspiration for how to disappear completely mm-hmm. from Kid A because it was like because it became too much for yeah like him you know just a, as a person like all of the popularity when Radiohead blew up so yeah I heard a little bit of the song that Tom York sang on one of the documentaries that I watched it was, it was really good um I just couldn't remember the name yeah I'm still looking into that yeah so Oh, and then they ended up scoring the film Man on the Moon about Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And then in 2001, they went back into the studio to record their 12th album. And that's Reveal. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. And they recorded it in Canada and Ireland. So Joey Warnaker filled in on drums. Let's see, sorry. I think it was just on tour. I didn't write that down, but I think just when they toured for the album. I don't yeah, think he played on they, the, they the album. They still tried to do like drum machines yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. So that one ended up selling about four million globally. And they said it was their most beautiful album. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful it's, record. Yeah. yeah. It was... So Warner Brothers released a compilation album and DVD called In Time, Best of R.E.M. And it was between 88 and 2003. And then In View... Also mm-hmm. between 88 and 2003. I remember when this came out, yeah. Yeah. They released Around the Sun in 04. And the big single was Leaving New York. And Bill Rieflin from Ministry. I, I loved Ministry back in the day. I don't know if you yes. guys get into him. And Pigface became their full-time touring drummer. Okay, so maybe that was what I was talking about. And looks like in 2006, they were nominated to be included into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the ceremony actually took place in 2007. And guess who? Guess who inducted them? Who? Eddie Vedder. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! So Girl, damn for the win, right? Motherfucker! All, oh, all, all comes back out. around. Yep, yep. It's all that coming up. The reason jam. that we talked about Eddie oh, Vedder for so long. So good. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> damn the man. <laughs> Bill came back and played for the show with them, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And yeah, they began working on their 14th album, Accelerate, which was released in 2008. They worked with, his name was Jackknife Lee. (laughs) 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 Please tell me that's his real fucking name. I hope so. Is that a punk rock name? Yeah. Like, as I say, because like, like what profession would that guy have? He's Jack, no, no, like I don't need to know what he actually does. <laughs> I need to know like what would he do, like in my fantasy world, because I daydream yeah. all the time. So like, let me think, Jack Knife. Like that's even too cheesy for fucking books that yeah. I read, and I read fucking wizard books and <laughs> weird stuff. I don't know. I feel like he should be a mechanic. He's really yeah. Yeah. Like Jack Knife, and like you know, but like maybe like has a pompadour and like some shitty jeans. Yeah. Like a permanent grease stain on his hands and wears like white t shirts. Yeah. Rolled up. Totally. <laughs> Smokes Marlboros. Yeah. Tight. All right, go on. <laughs> I've got my mental image now. Probably looks nothing no like him. Jack Knife Lee. <laughs> I'm sure he's a great dude. I'm just like, 
I just, your name's funny. I don't care. You'll never hear this. Ha. (laughs) (laughs) They released a live album in 2009 called Live at the Olympia. And... Okay, they released their 15th album, Collapse Into Now, in 2011. And that was when they finally fulfilled their contract with Warner Brothers. And then announced on September 21st, 2011, that they were calling it a day as a band. They still release songs that they've been working on without a label. A compilation called Part Lies, Part Truth, Part Garbage. And that's it. All right. The entire career yeah. of REM. Yeah. I did... I did write down that I didn't find a good place to include it, but Peter Buck lived next door to Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love in oh, Seattle. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, and then you know, I know we talked about this, but um, Stipe almost collaborated with him shortly before Kurt's death, but it didn't end up working out. Well, they, and I think I think Michael Stipe is uh, Francis Bean's godfather, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And they yep. they had a song on Monster that was um, it's called uh, Let Me In, and it it was it. Courtney gave, um, I think he gave it to Michael Stipe, but like gave it to like Peter Buck, the guitarist, to like mm-hmm. play, and it was the one that he was working on when he died. So that okay. that guitar, mm-hmm. and it's just a bunch. The whole song is just very guitar driven, and it's that it's Kurt Cobain's guitar, and it's all about right. letting that. me, like letting someone in. Yeah. Wow. And because he mentioned REM, Kurt Cobain in his. Um, suicide you know, like letter yeah about how R- he said R.E.M. handled fame like saints and then mm-hmm. that was he always looked up to them yeah. that's awesome yeah. yeah so Ben tell us about this conspiracy okay so it's um, yeah it's something the band denied it's something that doesn't always like it's not like there are like holes in it but the like countdown um, comes weirdly to fruition. Um, it all people like fans started noticing that there were numbers, just a lot of them. And R.E.M. was known for being like kind of like mythical, almost in the sense of like they wanted like stories attached to songs. They wanted stuff to be up to your own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I think I, I remember even hearing that Michael Stipe, he was really into legends and folklore and yeah. tried to bring that into yeah. yep. his songs. Yeah, and so he did. they did that with, like, everything. Album art, like, liner notes, lyrics. Um, and so then, so then fans started following suit and trying to see, you know, as you do, like, if anything, if the, the band is trying to tell you something. Yeah. Um, and so it starts with their... Like first EP, Chronic Town, it was a song called Ten Thousand Wolves. And um, Taken Alone doesn't really mean much, but like it like as the albums continue on, there is a pattern. And like I said, it does break several times, but then oddly comes to fruition. Um, their first full-length album, Murmur, has a song called Nine to Nine. And all of the all of these things like that are printed like there's weird stuff all the way through like if they're on the outside of the album art they're like numerical but inside they're spelled out. Um, and Ben has brought several uh, REM LPs here. To, I did. Uh, and we will take pictures and put them on our Instagram yeah. yes. so you guys can see what we're talking about. Especially since you can't find 
much about this online. You can't. <laughs> we, no, you cannot. We ran into <laughs> trouble finding some stuff because everyone like looked it up and could not find anything that I was talking about. Yeah, so what, we know nothing about this. Really. So what Ben had to do is he talked to me about this conspiracy and explained everything. And then I went and Googled it again right after he told me. And the very first thing that came up was like a message board thread kind of describing um, all of these instances. But it was still very, uh, yeah, there was it's still It's because a your smartphone be... was listening to you. Exactly. I know. I know. So My phone was listening. That but always yeah, it was, still, me uh, it was still a little vague and was missing a lot of, uh, a lot of details. So that's the most that I could find. Yeah. The, uh, that's, that was like the most that I found. I, found currently um now when did you how did you first I, hear about my it my uncle like told me about it really? and because he was the one that like turned me on to rem and he, mm-hmm. he like kind of walked me through it and then i just always like remembered that because mm-hmm. uh yeah he was super into rem and mm-hmm. i had never heard anything and like by the time that i even heard about rem like you know monster was already released right. so, like i got That's, to like sit and like mm-hmm. sift through like all of this history like all of these great records like at once and yeah. it was that's really cool that he knew all that yeah because i grew up around you know rem fans like my dad and my uncle and but you know i don't think they ever knew anything like that yeah but so. it's not you know it is also a, just a, like a fun theory mm-hmm. that the yeah. band did acknowledge and say because like in the beginning when they were talking about it they like well separate they said that if anyone ever person left the band that rem was over as they knew it mm-hmm. and like so that continues on after like you have Murmurs nine and nine, like the next like album, um, and this is where like stuff gets weird because you have um, seven Chinese brothers yeah. off of this, but then you have like a driver eight like right like within because they were recorded within like the same year. These okay, two. so reckoning with the seven Chinese brothers that's before right, but then it eight, goes driver so eight, it's kind of so it does. Out. But and then this is the one where there was always a battle of what was it called because it's because re- if you take this away and like this away, they meant for it to be like not. So it's reconstruction. So of explain the, what you what would be taken away. Like oh, just yes, like barcodes, like okay. things that are like at, like so. This is like the front, or is this the front? Because this kind of yeah. looks like the back. People call it Fables of the Reconstruction, but people would argue that that looks like the more the front cover. Yeah. So it's reconstruction of the fables of the, and it continues. Oh yeah, because the back is where it has the That's band really name cool. and everything. Right. The front doesn't. And yeah, so that they, looks more like the. When, what year yeah. did that one come out? This one was eighty five. Totally has like a Sandman vibe to yeah. it. And this is the this was <laughs> like the, the comic books. one. Yeah, like those Neil Gaiman comic books. Yeah, and like this... all of the art is kind of like that, and some of the pages from the printings that I have, at least. Oh, never mind. It does have the name on the front, but it's not as. No, it doesn't look like. Yeah, it's not as prominent. Yeah, yeah it's it's good. Oh. Yeah, we'll like post the pictures of these. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that way you can hear us talking about this and know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> the weirdest one for me is the life's rich pageant. It's the one where on the front, it has a picture of Bill Barry and his and, eyebrows. In May, yeah, his <laughs> eyebrows definitely prominent. Uh, but then Buffalo's below, and the whole idea was just a joke of Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, but would you fuck me? I fuck me. Inside the liner. Notes, <laughs> well, also on the back, like all of like 
everything is out of order. All the numbers are out of, like, like they don't line up with what is over. Like, there's lyrics correspond to, and you're supposed to match them. And, mm. like, there's, it's, they're always playing with people. But in this, in, on the, in the liner notes, after just talking about uh, Back Cover Painting by Juanita Rogers, who packages it, there's just the word seven for no apparent reason. Yeah, like the you very, just very bottom. Yeah. Really small after some of these credits. And then there's back. lyrics that follow yeah. it, but there's no rhyme or reason that there is the word seven. Very bottom. So that's when people started trying to figure, like, they're like, wait, this started with ten. And, like, there was, yeah. like, an eight. There was, like... Like, That's weird. Yeah. So then. So we already have seven with reckoning. Right. And there's so just it, another one showing up right. a couple albums so, later. Yeah. And, and then what's six? So that's the thing. They like don't have a six. So but there's two sevens. But then they release document, and it's just called document. But the act, it's actually document number five. Like that's like the this one's big number, and this is the one that has the superimposed. Like his original car and house on the front, which you don't necessarily notice. Yeah. But that's and so that's when they start. It starts getting like back weirdly in an order. Green, they came. It was next, and this was their major label debut. And this is the one that has the four on the cover. So this was the one. This isn't an original release of mm. the vinyl. It had, in Michael Stipe said, the reason that there was a superimposed four on the front was because, like, on a keyboard, the four and the E are right next to each other, and they hit it accidentally. They are. And just kept mm -hmm. it that and way. And so he just liked the look. That's what he said. But for some reason, even on later, like, pressings, there's a sticker on oh, the back yeah. that just has the four. That, like, it was, yeah. like, why would, what? I mean, I know it's a countdown, and there's 35 here, but... That's interesting. Like, do you yeah. think that, like, so they knew about people's, like, fan theories with it already, so were they, like, just, like, playing into that at I that just, point? See, they never ever Yeah, like, when did they start putting yeah. stickers on there? It, like, they never really talked about that. Um, I don't have Out of Time, which would have been the next. Three. Yeah. Was mm -hmm. that... Is that on there somewhere? It or is, but... Is it is it hidden in the cover, or... I've, I honestly would have to... Know. I need yeah. to... <laughs> but yeah so this when we do skip one because I know there's tons of numbers that one but then it comes to the so the automatic for the people automatic yeah. for the people that has New Orleans instrumental number one and so if the countdown was to come to fruition like it would have to end with the next album yeah. which was R.A.M.'s Monster and there was a lot of weird, weird stuff within this, but on the vinyl release only, there's just that on the back. A big zero. A big zero. Yeah. And that is the tour that Bill Berry had a brain aneurysm and left and had to quit. So sub subsequently, like, it comes to fruition on a weird level. They had yeah. one well more album that included him. But it was a road album. It wasn't a studio. Yeah. This is the last studio album with Bill Berry as drummer. I mean, and they didn't really replace him for... No. Yeah. Mm. yeah. They didn't really ever. They never replaced yeah. him as a member. They just replaced the like, road drummer, and then that, yeah. and then they were but done. But the original, the original thing that 
So it's the the yes, countdown man. to when somebody leaves, and that's when they have to break up. But right. obviously, they had a lot of albums after. Right, that. they continued. So, yeah. They continued for sure. But REM, as everyone knew piece. it, yeah, the four piece, it did. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess it did stop. That's so weird. That's fascinating. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. all those all those later albums are not really you know what people think about when they think like quintessential no, REM. So Up was really interesting, mm-hmm. but once yeah. again, it was the first time they changed their like they did something they because there was never any lyrics in any yeah. any of them until Up, and that was when mm-hmm. it all changed. So, um, okay, you might have said this already. This was there a six. Something? No, there was two sevens. Two yeah, sevens. There was okay, two sevens. all right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember. And then, the, yeah, and that's a, that's what I mean. Like, okay, math right. yes, does get definitely odd, and then yeah. you don't include, like, but, but, yeah. I mean, it's all just a, it's a fun theory, but it's weird right. that it did end, and especially with yeah. the, like, where it ha- it's so close to, like, ten, nine, eight, seven, seven. And it also seems like after it hit zero, then it wasn't like it was the brain aneurysm was like also like the worst of it, but it seems like they were just kind of plagued by bad luck after that. And yeah. they didn't do any like they there was no messaging, like all of the like album art, like almost fun like aspect of them as a band kind of disappeared. It was yeah. all just You're just carrying a little bit more bleak. Yeah. Yeah. And just like a like the album art was just a photo that Michael Sype took. It was a fun photo, but it was just eh. And there's yeah. no number, no no fun things. Yeah, and I feel like, and I feel like with Monster, like to me that album is very like, kind of, um, you know, like guitar heavy and like energetic and everything. And it's like, well, then this is the end. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the- yeah, it really was. It was <laughs> yeah. so weird. They ended like they played that "Let Me In" the like Kurt Cobain song. Then there's two really odd sounding REM songs that just don't make sense to the rest of their career. And then it was. That's it. But I mean, yeah. granted, New Adventures in Hi-Fi was a great record that came out so right after it. Yeah. yeah. But and that's the one that I like remember the most vividly when it came yeah, out yeah. because that's yeah, one of my, favorites. my dad would play it every like every Saturday morning. I would wake up to the wake up bomb like playing downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I song. I, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. The song if you guys did that the whole time, I would totally end up punching you. <laughs> you know what? This song, this song, leave on uh, on New Adventures in Hi Fi. It's like a seven minute song. It has this really long, really slow intro, and then when the drums kick in, it's just like this siren going over and over throughout the entire song. And it should be really annoying, yeah, on paper. but it's amazing. It's incredible. It's yeah. amazing. See, I haven't heard the song, but all I've heard is we'll these two for the past couple of days yeah. going wee 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 wee, and I'm just like. I feel like this episode, I'm just like realizing like how aggro I get. <laughs> I know you've got a lot of like musical uh, rage. Yeah. Like that's why I guess that's why I stick to punk rock, you know. And I was yeah. gonna say, and it's and it's it's very like for you, it's it's things that are considered pretty like inoffensive. Like who, who gets upset <laughs> about the Spin Doctors? I, I mean, well, anyone five any hours song for five hours. Yeah, okay, okay. okay. All right. like, but when you really, really like, wanted yeah. to hear the number one song, whatever the hell that was. And it was always the fucking spin doctors. What year was it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I was. Yeah. It was like probably when I was like in second or third grade. I mean, it was. So like I was young. Three, four. Anything that would have been like ten probably would have been coming out right then. No, that was that was like ninety one. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in eighty six, so I I don't math. It's fine. I don't. I don't math ever. <laughs> Except when it comes to REM conspiracies. Yeah, that's the only time. That, yeah. 
And that's always, but the math is kind of fucked because there's two sevens and no six. But it is yeah. kind of, it is kind of, yeah. It's not like a, you know. But yeah, I just, I it always makes it better. I know. I think that it, because it, it throws you off a little bit because you're thinking like, well, maybe not. Back. Yeah. So today we're gonna end our episode with um, a song from the New Heaven's Gateway Drugs album. Um, do you have any preference of which one you would want us to play? Uh, what's probably your, just. What's your favorite song on the album? I, I honestly, I I love thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Is that what you want us to play out? Yeah, I'd love it. Awesome. I also wanted to mention. I found this really good podcast while doing research called Song Exploder. And they take one song from an artist and they completely break it down and talk about um, everything that went into recording. And they have oh, that some sounds really interesting. good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they um, covered where they talked about Try Not to Breathe by R.E.M. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely check out song. this podcast. It's called Song Exploder. I definitely have to check that out. Yeah. All right. So thank you for listening to our music podcast. And, and this is Thoughts and Prayers by Heaven's Gateway Drugs.
Traffic 